Welcome back to the Montgomery Company's Leadership Series. I'm your host, Jordan Montgomery, and today we're doing something a little bit different. We're gonna feature a conversation that I recently shared with Damon West through the Montgomery Company's Leadership Series. If you're not participating in the Leadership Series, we will welcome you to join us. You can find out about the Leadership Series through social media if you follow our channels. We interview fascinating people like Damon West in a live webinar format where guests get to ask questions and we get to engage with people like Damon real time. Damon's story is compelling, interesting, fascinating. He has one of the best stories on overcoming adversity of anyone on planet Earth. Here's my guest, Damon West. Good morning and welcome to the Montgomery Company's Leadership Series. I'm Jordan Montgomery. I'm your host. And today we are in for a special treat. Today, you're going to hear one of America's most inspiring life stories of our time. It's a story of hope, love, grace, and redemption. If you're an athlete, today's message is for you. If you're a leader in your home or in business, today's message is for you. If you're a salesperson, today's message is for you. If you care about getting better, if you're into growth and development, today's message is for you. We're going to talk about perspective, performance, and mindset. Before I formally introduce today's speaker, I want to make a couple comments about today's session and about our next session. In today's session, just like we always do with these webinars, we're going to provide a little time for Q&A in the last 20 or so minutes. So if you have a question throughout today's session, what we would love is if you would just drop that question into the chat box. We're going to try to grab maybe a half a dozen questions or so and get those answered for you toward the end of our time together today. I also wanna make you aware of our next event through the leadership series. It'll be on September 24th at noon central time with best-selling author, speaker, national thought leader, John Gordon. John Gordon actually happens to be very good friends with today's guest. In fact, they co-wrote the book, The Coffee Bean Together, and it's a national best-selling book that you're going to want to get your hands on if you haven't already. So join us September 24th, noon central time. To find out about that session and other future events, follow us on social media, Jordan M. Montgomery on Instagram. You can check us out on Facebook, LinkedIn. Go to our website, montgomerycompanies.com. We would love to engage with you in a deeper way. I get to formally introduce today's speaker, and I've been waiting for this session for a very long time. Today's intro is a little bit different because I don't want to spoil some of the story and some of the fire that Damon West has inside of him. But this is truly a life story that is remarkable. And it's a story that Damon has been willing to share with the world. And because of that, it's put him in front of some of America's top sports teams, Fortune 100 companies, leaders of our country, and I was talking to John Gordon and Dave, uh, uh, David Nurse the other day. They said, this guy will be, for sure, one of the most sought-after speakers of our time. So I'm going to say this to him directly. Damon, I just want you to know this. From me to you, I want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart. I want to say thank you for the way that you have handled your adversity and your challenge in your own life, the way that you wear your faith on your sleeve. I love the way that you lead your family. And uh, I am so grateful, man, that you have decided to invest some of your very valuable time in the Montgomery Company's community today. So from the bottom of my heart, man, I want to say thank you. The floor is yours. I'm ready to learn and dive in. Ladies and gentlemen, Damon West. Jordan, man, wow, that is amazing. Just drop it on me right there that you've got John next month. Man, I, I get to open up for John Gordon, man. How great is my life, man? John is such a good, close personal friend and mentor to me. And the story I'm about to tell you about finding the opportunities in adversity and about, about having core values in life. And I know that, you know, Jordan, your core values are faith and family and fun, and all those are going to be present in this presentation today. But, but just to tie it back to John Gordon, that, you know, in our lives, there are going to be people that are there to lift us up. And it's incumbent upon us to find other people along the road of life to lift up to. John Gordon is certainly one of those guys. And, and Jordan, I'm going to ask you at the end of this presentation, ask me about meeting John Gordon. How I Ask me how I met John Gordon. So let me just jump right into this presentation right now. 
And we're going to talk about finding the opportunity in adversity. And you'll see that in my home studio right here, uh, I stand up because I, I found that early on doing these Zooms and doing, the, doing virtual presentations, sitting down wasn't for me. I'm a pretty high-octane guy. Jordan and I were talking about coffee consumption a while ago. Man, I make a cup of coffee nervous. So let's go, y'all. We're going to start this story out um, July 30th, 2008. I'm sitting around this little rundown apartment in Dallas, and I'm sitting on this little ratty old couch, and I've got my meth dealer sitting next to me on the couch. And 13 years ago, July 30th, 2008, I'm a full-blown meth addict. I'm the head of an organized crime ring in Dallas, Texas. And I am sitting there doing drugs with this guy. And I am telling Tex, his name is Tex. Tex, the end is near, man. The cops are closing in on me. My partner in crime had just been picked up by the Dallas Police Department 10 days before that. And man, just as I passed the pipe back to Tex, the window shattered on my right and blew out. And a little canister came tumbling across my living room floor and smoking on one end, right? Man, I know what's about to go down. I've seen this movie before. I tried to get out of the living room as fast as I could. Too late. Boom! The flashbang grenade goes off my face. Bright white light, loud noise, blows me back on the couch. And when I came to, when I could see and hear again, there's a cop standing over me in full SWAT riot gear, man. He's got his boot on my chest and the barrel of an assault rifle, digging in my eye socket, and he's screaming at the top of his lungs, don't move, don't move. You know, another cop comes screaming in there. He says, we got it. We got the Uptown Burger, the Uptown Burger. Y'all, it doesn't matter how many people's lives I can positively impact with this message I'm about to tell you today, uh, how many people's lives I can positively change with this story of being a coffee bean. I'll never escape that name, that moniker, the Uptown Burger. About a dozen other meth addicts and myself, young and old, male and female, black and white, and everything in between, because drugs and addiction do not discriminate, but we indiscriminately and without reservation broke into the home's of dozens of people in the uptown neighborhood of Dallas to feed our insatiable meth habits. But on July 30th, 2008, the uptown burgers came to an end because they had their man. And they took me to Dallas County Jail. They put me in a holding cell. And then, then I went to general population. I spent the next 10 months in Dallas County Jail with one thought going through my head. And, and it wasn't about my family, who I've devastated at this point. You'll hear this story. You, was it about my victims, who I've created a lot of and hurt too, it was about myself. I've got a first degree felony for organized crime hanging over my head. The only thought that I have in county jail is getting out and getting high again. But at the end of 10 months in Dallas County Jail, Dallas County finally gave me my day in court. Actually, they gave me six days in court. And six days is a long criminal trial for crimes that were non-aggravated. No one was ever home. No one was ever hurt. I never saw my victims physically. Didn't matter. At the end of six days of my trial, the jury had to listen to so much overwhelming evidence. The jury hated me. And they had every right to. I gave them every reason to hate my guts. And on May 18th, 2009, after six days of trial, the jury went to deliberate for 10 minutes on my sentence. 10 minutes. Jordan, I don't know how much law and order you watch, but if a jury's gone for 10 minutes, man, they smoked you. And when I came back into the courtroom, the judge wasted no time and he gaveled it back in. Bam, bam, bam. Damon Joseph West, you are hereby sentenced to 65 years in the Texas Department of Criminal Justice. 65 years is a life sentence in prison in the state of Texas, y'all. Now, obviously I didn't do life in prison because I'm coming to you today from my home studio in Beaumont, Texas. I did seven years and three months in a maximum security penitentiary called the Mark Stiles Unit. And I'm gonna tell you something, Mark Stiles Unit is one of the toughest prisons in Texas. I'll put it up against any prison in America. And let me tell you how I know about prisons in America. Talk about overcoming adversity. When I got out of prison, I went back to school and got my master's in criminal justice. And today, I'm a teacher. I'm a professor at the University of Houston. I teach a class at the University of Houston called Prisons in America. So I can tell you a lot about prisons. Styles is one of the toughest. And so I do, I'm doing my time. I'm a chapel clerk in the chapel down there. And in 2015, the chaplain comes into the chapel. He says, hey, Wes, they want to see you at parole. And man, I know I'm up for parole, but I've got no expectations of making parole. I figure I'm going to probably do 10 or 15 years on my life sentence before they actually let me go. So I go into the parole office. I got my hands behind my back, a smile on my face. And the lady from parole says, you know, shut the door, sit down, Mr. West. And she's flipping through my file. And uh, she has for about 20 seconds, she keeps the file open. She slams it shut. She pushes the file away. She said, Mr. West, I came here today to ask you a question. And the answer to my question is not in that file right there. She said, we don't see a lot of people come through state prison like you, Mr. West. She said, you had everything going for you in your life, every advantage, every privilege, every opportunity. But you blew through all of that. You, came, you became a drug addict, a criminal, a thief. A jury gave you life in prison for the things you did. She said, but, but, 
instead of letting that license define you, she said, you came to this prison, this prison in particular, and you changed yourself inside this prison. She said, but more importantly, you changed this entire prison around you. She said, so I've got one question for you today, Mr. West. She said, if you could be remembered for being anything in life, anything at all, she said, I want you to tell me what that would be in just one word. Go. Man, I'm a coffee bean. You talk about an easy question for a coffee bean. I fired her answer back at her real quick. And I said, ma'am, useful. I just want to be useful. And I can be useful inside this prison or I can be useful in that free world finding those coffee beans. November 16, 2015, the Texas Department of Criminal Justice let me go on parole. On parole for the rest of my life. I'm on parole until 2073 which means until 2073, I meet with my parole officer once a month. I give him a urinalysis. I answer all the questions. I pay a fine. But I don't care about parole, y'all. And don't take that as a cavalier, cocky statement. This guy just bucks authority. No, man. Parole tells me to jump. I ask him how high, how many times. Parole has all the power. I obey all rules and respect all authority. But when I tell you I don't care about parole, it's this. I'm a coffee bean, y'all. And as long as I'm a coffee bean, the only way I go back into prisons is when I get to go to prisons all over America and share my experience, strength, and hope with the men and women that are locked in behind those walls that they may have a better life one day too. And I walk out the front gate every time I go. So let me tell you a little bit about me. Let me tell you a little backstory, a little context to me before I tell you about the coffee bean. I grew up in a town called Port Arthur, Texas. It's down here where Louisiana and Texas meet on the Gulf Coast. Blue collar town, refinery town. Had a great family. My mom and dad, Bob and Jeannie West, are still married to this day. I've been married for 53 years. I didn't come from a broken home. Uh, my dad was a sports writer. My mom was a nurse. I had an older brother, younger brother. Really good athlete growing up. Uh, I was uh, the three-year starting quarterback for my 5A high school team. And, and as some of y'all may know, Texas high school football is a big deal down here, y'all. And I was the man. I was a stud in, ta- in, this, in the town of Port Arthur. Uh, I had a lot of character issues that never, I never really had to deal with because I could play football really well. I got a scholarship to play ball at the University of North Texas. And when I went to North Texas in 1994 to play college football, I took all my bad behaviors with me because wherever you go, there you are. You know, we talk about wanting to change your, your, pay, your people, places, things, but you have to change you first. And so I have this, this, this care, these character issues I take with me. I, I'm, a, I'm a guy that's into substance abuse. I like to smoke beer. I mean, I like to smoke pot. I like to drink a little beer. I go to college. And when I get to college, man, really the only two things I care about are being the starting quarterback for my Division I team and partying. And I did both really well. I got into a fraternity. I was a Lambda Chi at the University of North Texas. I was the, I was the starting quarterback by the time I was 20 years old. And, man, I thought I had arrived. But life has a way of giving you these days that I call fork in the road days. And a, and a fork in the road is this. Life's going to knock you down so hard some days that when you get back up and dust yourself off, the world looks different. Things are in different places. But you've got a choice to make. Will you make the right choice to go the right way or the wrong choice and go the wrong direction? September 21st, 1996, we took the field against Texas A&M. Beautiful Saturday afternoon in College Station, Texas. And on the third play of that game, I went down with a career in an injury. And I never played college football again. And when I got up to that fork in the road in life and my identity was gone, football was my identity. I made a lot of wrong turns. I, I called this point at the fork in the road, the existential vacuum where your existence is wrapped up. And I read a, a book in prison by a guy named Victor Frankl called Man's Search for Meaning. If you've never read Frankl, you should check it out. He was in Auschwitz. But in this existential vacuum, there's this hole in my life. And, and, and instead of fo- putting something good and positive there where football once was, I put in bad things. I, I, I got into more hardcore substance abuse, cocaine, ecstasy, pills, you name it. I graduated college in 99. I move off to Washington, D.C. I got a job working in the United States Congress. After that, I worked for a guy running for president of the United States, raising money for him all over the country as a political fundraiser. And in 2004, when he drops out of the race for president, I moved back to Dallas to train to be a stockbroker for one of the biggest Wall Street banks in the world, UBS, United Bank of Switzerland. And it was at this job as a broker that I was coming up to a big fork in the road in my life, and I had no clue. In 2004, I was passed out of sleep at my, my desk at work, and, and I was getting ready to take the Series 7 exam. And, and this other broker comes up. He sees me sleeping, and he wakes me up, and he's freaked out. He's like, Damon, he said, wake up, man. He said, man, you can't sleep on this kind of job. He said, the markets are open. You're messing with people's money. He said, man, they're going to fire you if they catch you sleeping. He said, come on down to the parking garage with me. I got something that's going to pick you up. So we go down to the parking garage right there at Northwest Highway to Tollway in Dallas, Texas, that parking garage where UBS once was. We go into that parking garage. And when I I get into his car, he hands me a glass pipe with these crystal rocks in it. And y'all, I 
I'd never seen a glass pipe before. I freak out on this guy. I'm like, man, what is that? He said, Damon, it's crystal meth. He said, you're going to love this stuff. And y'all, truer words have never been spoken because I fell in love with crystal meth that day. And that's what meth does. Meth grabs you right like that. And it took me no time to give away everything for that drug. My job, my home, my car, my savings account, my faith, my family. I went from working on Wall Street to living on the streets of Dallas within 18 months of that first hit. Homeless, living in dope houses with the dope fiends, committing crimes to fund my addiction. First, it was simple crimes. I, I was breaking into cars. Then I was breaking into storage units. And then eventually it escalated to home burglaries. And let me tell you something, y'all. My victims, we're going to talk about my victims for a second. They sacrificed the most for the story today. I didn't just steal my, my victim's property. I stole a lot of property over three years of uptown burglaries. I stole something way more valuable for my victims. I stole their sense of security, and I don't know if they ever get that back. But on July 30th, 2008, after three years of committing property crimes against the people of Dallas, Texas, the Dallas SWAT team put an end to the uptown burglaries. The day they arrested me, or or as I tell audiences everywhere I go, that wasn't just the day I was arrested, y'all. That was the day I was rescued. Man, God got me out of the situation I could not get myself out of. So now we're back, though, where the story started, the holding cell, the day of my arrest. And after 24 hours of processing the holding, the guards come to get me, and they are mad. They're angry with me. I've been terrorizing Dallas for three years. If they finally got me in chains, they put me in one of the worst pods they could find. And within 24 hours, I'm on my first fight in there. And I get on the, on the phone the day room, and I call home to my mom and my dad in Port Arthur. And my, my dad's devastated. He's crying on the phone. My mom gets on the phone, and she's encouraging me to get back in touch with God and start praying again. So I hung up the phone that night with my mom. And, you know, I spent the next 10 months in Dallas County Jail praying to God, praying to God for the day that I could get out again and get high, because that's where my mind was at the time. I start the book out with that chapter right there, the prologue is when I'm standing there in court and the judge reads the sentence out. And the name of that chapter is called Rock Bottom, because that was my rock bottom moment. That's the time in my life that I realized that something had to change and that something was me. And that was the day I surrendered. That was the day I finally just laid it down and said, I can't do this on my own. So right after the trial was over, they put me in this little side room. It's got a bulletproof glass right there. They told me to wait. A few minutes later, my parents came in and uh, they're going to give them five, like five minutes with me. My parents, they feel bad for my parents because I got a life sentence, right? So my mom and dad come in. My dad's just in stunned disbelief. So my mom does all the talking and she says, baby, she said, debts in life demand to be paid. And then that's a huge lesson in life. If you owe a debt, you'll pay it. You know this. She said, debts in life demand to be paid. She said, you just got hit with one hell of a bill from the state of Texas. She said, but you did the things they said you did, Damon. You have to go and pay that debt to society. She said, but you owe your father and I a debt too. She said, Damon, we gave you all the opportunity, love and support to be anything you want to be in life. And that's how you repay us what we saw in that courtroom. She said, that's not going to work. She said, we raised you in Port Arthur, Texas. A giant melting pot of a city gave you a great moral compass, which you chose to not use. She said, so here's a debt you're going to pay to us. She said, when you go to prison, you will not get in one of these white hate groups, one of these Aryan Brotherhood type of gangs, because you're scared because you're the minority in there. She said, it's not going to work, Damon. You were never raised to be a racist, and you're not going to start now. She said, you will not get any tattoos while you're inside that prison. And man, I show people my sleeves all the time everywhere I go, y'all. Almost 10 years in prison, no tattoos. Every time one of these guys in the, in the prison would hit me up, man, hey, Wes, let me put a tattoo on you. I'd be like, man, I can't do it, dude. My mom said no. Because my mom told me that day, May 18th, 2009. She said, no gangs, no tattoos. She said, you come back as the man we raised, or don't you come back at all. Incredibly tough love from my mom. She said, do you understand this debt you're going to pay? And through the tears, I was like, yeah, mom, I got it. But man, what do I know? I'm a white middle-class guy in America, y'all. Man, I, I don't even know anybody's ever been to prison before. So I get back to my pod in Dallas County Jail, and I'm asking all these guys that had been to prison before, how am I going to survive? What am I going to do? And every guy I talk to, black, white, Asian, Hispanic, they're telling me the same thing. Man, you got to get into a gang. You can't survive without a gang. They told me the gang would be my family, which is a lie, y'all. They said you're going to the worst part of the Texas prison system, Wes, where everybody in the building you live on has life. They call it the life sentence building. Make your life easy, Wes. Get into a gang. But there was this one guy that was so different. This one guy in Dallas County Jail, this older black man, 
named Mr. Jackson. And Mr. Jackson is what you call a career criminal. He's been out of prison all of his life, four or five times. But he was the most positive guy I've ever met in my life. This guy had a smile on his face. Every, you couldn't knock the smile off of Jackson's face. And every morning he would come up to my cubicle, to my bunk, and make sure that I was good. He'd be like a ray of sunshine in the dark place with his positive energy. And one morning he comes up, he's got a cup of coffee in his hands and a smile on his face. He said, West, I've been watching how you're dealing with those knuckleheads and those dummies. Talk about you got to get into a game. He said, man, don't listen to these fools. He said, you want to keep that promise you made to your mom and your dad, to God, to yourself. He said, then let me tell you what prison's going to really be like. Let me lace you up, he said. He said, the first thing you need to understand about prison, prison is all about race. He said, race runs the entire disgusting institution. He said, and every inmate in there wants it to be about race. He said, when you walk in the door there, the white gangs are going to get the first dibs on you because you're a white guy. The Aryan Brotherhood, the Aryan Circle, the White Knights, the Woods. He said, you have to fight all these guys for your independence. He said, if you survive them and you don't give in, to their ideology of hate out of fear. Fear. Ladies and gentlemen, let me tell you something about fear. Fear is a liar. Fear will make you see things that are not really there. will make you believe things that are not real. Fear will make you look at your neighbor as a threat because they, they look different than you. They believe something different than you. They come from a different background than you. My co-author and good friend, John Gordon, John says that fear and faith have more in common than the letter F that begin with. John says fear and faith both believe in futures that have not happened yet. Fear is a negative future, which you can choose to buy into. But faith is a positive future, which you can also choose to believe in. And John says all the time, when given the choice, choose faith over fear. And that's kind of what Jackson's telling me that day. Do not give in to the white gangs and their ideology of hate out of fear, but get ready because after you fight the white gangs, then the black gangs are coming after you. He said the Crips, the Bloods, the Gangster Disciples, the Mandingo Warriors, they're going to be happy to tee off on an independent white guy that will not get with his own kind, his own race. He said, but West, if you survive all that and you can survive all that, he said, you will earn the right to walk alone. He said, the strongest man in prison always walks alone, does not join a gang. And he told me something about fighting that day. And he told me something about fighting that day. And it's something I want to share with y'all because I use this with me in my life every day since he's told it to me. And it's something you can use in yours too. Mr. Jackson told me that day, he said, you don't have to win all your fights, but you do have to fight all your fights. Huge lesson in life, y'all. That tells you that some days you're going to win, but some days you're also going to lose. There are going to be days that you're laying in your bed when you wake up and you know that life is about to kick you in the teeth but you have to get up and face that day anyway. You can't just lay it down. And that's what Jackson's telling me. Don't just lay it down. Always face your fears. But when he's telling me this that day, fear is all he's seen looking back at. Him. I'm like a deer in headlights. He's talking about all this violence and terror I'm about to walk into. And that's when he said, hey, West, he said, let me break it down for you another way. He said, I want you to imagine prison as a pot of boiling water. He said, anything we put in this pot of boiling water is going to be changed by the heat and the pressure inside that pot. He said, I'm going to put three things in that pot of warm water and watch how they change. A carrot, an egg, and a coffee bean. Here's the story of the coffee bean. So he said, first things first. He said, if I put a carrot in that pot of warm water we call prison, he said, what happens to the carrot? And I was like, well, Mr. Jackson, a, a carrot turns soft. He said, that's right. He said, the carrot went into the water hard, though. But the water, the prison, turned the hard carrot soft, mushy, and weak. He said the carrot got beat. He got robbed. He may have gotten killed. He said, you don't want to be the carrot inside that prison. He said, what about the egg, Wes? What happens to the egg in the pot of warm water we call prison? I was like, well, Mr. Jackson, the egg's going to turn hard, like a hard-boiled egg. He said, that's right. He said, the egg has a shell that protects it physically. But inside that shell, that soft liquid core, the egg's heart becomes hardened. He said, if your heart becomes hardened, now you're incapable of giving or receiving love. He said, if you're incapable of giving or receiving love inside that place, you've become institutionalized and you will not come back as someone your parents recognize because your eggshell will have swastikas tattooed all over it. And then he asked me, he said, what about the coffee bean? And y'all had no clue. I didn't know what happened to a coffee bean and a pot of warm water. And that's when Mr. Jackson, a man that looked nothing like me, didn't come from the same American experience and background as me, didn't even believe the same stuff as me. This guy was a black Muslim man 
from the streets of Dallas, Texas. I'm a white Catholic middle-class guy from Port Arthur, Texas, but this guy is so different than me. Share with me one of the most important nuggets of wisdom I've ever gotten in life. And the moral of this is, is this. If you turn yourself off to people, if you shut down to people because they look different than you, they believe something different than you, they come from a different background than you, then you are also going to miss some of the best lessons in life and some of the best friendships too. You have to be available and open to all people because in my life, I'm going to tell you something. In my life, God has never just reached down, put his hand on my head and said, Damon, you are healed. No. In my life, God has put people in my life. And when I was younger, these people were, were coaches, they were teachers, they were your parents or people in the community. But as I got older, they took on different people in different forms. Mr. Jackson was one of those people that God put in my life. That's when he told me. He said, if I put a coffee bean into that same pot of boiling water we call prison, he said, now, now you got to change the name of that water to coffee. Because he said, the coffee bean, Wes, the smallest of these three things, he said, small like you had the power to change the entire atmosphere inside that pot because the power was inside the coffee bean. He said, just like the power is inside of you. He said, everything else was changed by the water. The carrot was changed by the water. The egg was changed by the water. But the coffee bean was the only thing that could change the water. He said, everybody in life, Wes, we put out this energy, negative or positive. He said, whatever kind of energy we put out, we attract back. It's called the law of attraction and it works. He said, so if you want to walk around prison all the time and you want to try to look hard, you've got this negative, mean look on your face, you're going to attract the most negative people, most violent and dangerous people into your world. He said, but Wes, you walk around that prison with a smile on your face and you let those guys know that they're not getting to you. No matter what they do, they can't break you. He said, you will change that prison from the inside out. And he said, the best part about it is the other coffee beans in prison, the other positive inmates, they will find you because of your energy. And the last thing Mr. Jackson told me before I got on there, August 10th, 2009, I get on the prison bus to go serve my life sentence in prison. Mr. Jackson's last words to me were, West, go out there and go be a coffee bean. Be a coffee bean, y'all. Four words, man. These four words that are up here on my wall. If this old man shoot me straight, that means that the power's inside me. And, and, and when the power's inside me, the power can't be in the hands of the criminal justice system, the guards, or the other inmates. Not unless I give it to them. But if the power is truly inside me, truly inside me, that means no matter what environment I go into, no matter, no matter what prison I'm in, no matter what adversity I face in life, I won't just survive. I'll thrive. And I got my chance to find out. I became inmate West number 1585689. Prison was the hardest thing I've ever been through in my life, y'all. My book, The Change Agent, uh, it goes through prison. It, it, the, it's like a prison diary for that part of the book. The first two months of prison, they were brutal. It, it took two weeks to get through the white gangs. But they kept coming after me, just like Jackson said they would. And after that, then it was the black games, and sometimes more than one at a time. And let me tell you about prison fighting, y'all. From Dallas County Jail to the penitentiary, I probably got in three dozen fights, three dozen hand-to-hand -hand combats, and I lost, lost 75% of those fights, y'all. I got my butt kicked all over that prison, but I won every single battle I got into because I showed up. Because Jackson said, you don't have to win all those fights, but you do have to fight all those fights. So I just kept showing up. And it took about two months for all the violence to be done, for my right to exist to, to unfold. But I had a bigger problem on my hands after those two months when there was no more fighting. I had become the egg. And y'all, I didn't want to be the egg. But the violence, the terror, the negativity of prison breaks you down. One of the last conversations I had with Mr. Jackson, I asked him, I said, Mr. Jackson, what am I going to find more of in prison? He fired back without hesitation. He said, eggs. He said, eggs. Well, he said, the egg is a natural evolution of a human being inside of a difficult situation and where you're going is one of the most difficult situations there is. He said, you will probably become the egg too. And he was right. And I didn't want to be the egg, but I didn't know how to be the coffee bean. I had a conversation with my cellmate, this little guy named Carlos. Again, people that God puts in your life. Carlos was my cellmate, little, a uh, little bitty bank robber from San Antonio, he was serving 99 years for attempted capital murder. Good guy though, really good guy. But so Carlos, I had the bottom bunk of their cell. Carlos had the top bunk. And one night I'm telling Carlos the story of the coffee bean, just like Mr. Jackson had told it to me. And when I told Carlos the story of the coffee bean and the light bulb went off in his mind, he jumps off the top bunk. And he's like, he's like, man, I love this coffee bean story. He said, but you're no coffee bean, Wes, and you're never going to be a coffee bean. And this made me angry. I got up and got in Carlos's face. I'm like, why can't it be a coffee bean? He said, because the way you think, Wes, he said, the way you think controls the way you act. He said, all action is born of thought. And thoughts without action, 
He said, that's what we do most of the time. We just have these thoughts that we never act on. He said, if you want to become that coffee bean, you have to change the way you see your problem. And this is so important, y'all. He said, you have to change your mindset, West. He said, your problem is prison. He said, you have to quit looking at prison as a punishment and start looking at prison as an opportunity. I started this presentation off talking about finding the opportunity in adversity. Think about the, the, the adversity I'm sitting in when Carlos tells me that. I'm serving, I just started serving a fresh life sentence in one of the toughest maximum security penitentiaries in the state of Texas. One of the most violent things I've ever been through, the most violent thing I've ever been through in my life. And this little bank robber is telling me that this is an opportunity. And it doesn't even register. I can't wrap my brain around. I'm like, Carlos, tell me, what do you mean? How can this be an opportunity? This is a punishment. He said, it's only a punishment if you want it to be. Anything in life is only a punishment if you want it to be. It's in your mind. He said, you have 24 hours a day seven days a week to become the best version of yourself possible to become that coffee bean. And when lights out hit, he said, what are you prepared to do tomorrow with your opportunity? He refused to call prison a punishment. So the next day I woke up, my feet hit the cold concrete floor of the prison cell. And I look up and I said it out loud. I was like, all right, God, thanks for this opportunity. And I didn't believe it at first, y'all. I didn't. And, and, and this didn't happen overnight, the changes in life. But what I did that day is I did the necessary thing that all of us must do when we want to change our circumstances in life. I took action in my life and it started with one small step in a prison cell, in a dungeon. I took the first step that day into a new life. And like I said, it doesn't happen overnight because results take time to measure, y'all. When people talk about this thing they call the overnight success, they don't know what they're talking about because there's no such thing as an overnight success. Hard work dedication and commitment are the only ways you're going to get to where you want to be in life. In that prison, it took days becoming weeks, weeks becoming months and months becoming years, but I finally figured out how to become that coffee bean. And that's what I want to share with you right now. I'm going to tell you exactly how I did it because hopefully you can use some of my lessons because if I could do it in there, then you can do it out here. You cannot deny what you can see. So the first rule about being a coffee bean is about having positive body language. Everywhere you go, your body language is powerful, y'all. First of all, when you smile, your brain releases endorphins. That's the stuff that makes you feel good. Now you got something to give because you can't give what you don't have. And when people see you smile, they, they see you smile and they, they respond back to it with a smile back. When the lady from parole asked me about changing the entire prison around me, the answer to her question was with a smile. That's how I changed an entire maximum security prison with my smile and my ability to be positive in that dark place. And you have that power inside you too. The second rule about being a coffee bean is getting up every day and working out in yourself in three areas, spiritually, mentally, and physically. You cannot be a one-dimensional person. I was locked in prison with guys who could play in the NBA or the NFL. These guys are massive physical specimens. They spent all day long working out on their bodies, but they never worked out their mind. They didn't work out their soul. You want to be a complete human being? You want to be a coffee bean? You got to work out on all three. People ask me all the time, Damon, what's a spiritual workout? I'll give you my spiritual workout. When I get up in the morning, I learned how to pray when I got into prison. I got into a 12-step program recovery, which I'm into that. I'll be in this 12-step program the rest of my life. But in this program recovery, I learned how to pray. And, and today I say the same prayer that I was praying in prison. It's the only prayer that I say. I ask God for two things when I get up every day. I get on my knees and I say, hey, God, Put in front of me what you need me to do today for you. And let me recognize that when I see it. Amen. That's it. I don't have this long list of things I think I might want or need because in my faith, I can use the I statement. In my faith, I believe that if I take care of what God needs me to do for him, he will take care of my needs too. Not my wants, but my needs. Needs and wants are a whole different conversation. You know? So now I'm off. My day started. Now your mental workout. Your mental workout is every book you read, every video you watch, every website you go to, your social media feeds. Who are you following? What are you posting? By the way, if you want to follow someone positive, at Damon West 7 That's a good person to follow. I'm going to put out positive stuff. But, but seriously, you are what you eat. It's not just about food. It's about everything you put in this big brain of yours up here. And you are going to look like on the outside what you put on the inside. What kind of TV plays in your house? What are your kids watching? Are you, do you have something on that calls itself news, but it's people screaming at each other? That's not news. That's negative entertainment. And America is addicted to negative entertainment right now. Turn that stuff off, y'all. Just turn it off. And your physical workout, look, you got to take care of your body. You get one body in this life. Huh? It starts with just walking around the block and eating the right foods and trying to get enough rest. 
take care of this body. You only get one body in life. The third rule about being a coffee bean is the secret to life. And I learned the secret to life inside of a maximum security prison. The secret to life is servant leadership. Servant leadership. We talk about this, Jordan, when we talk on the phone about your core values of faith, family, and fun. Servant leadership is helping other people achieve their goals in life. Helping to raise other people up to a different station in life because, man, when we're helping other people, that's when we're at our best. And that's what we're all called to do. And every one of us has this power inside of us to impact human life in a way that you can't even imagine. I'll tell you a story about that from a guy named Mr. Rogers. Now, I watched Mr. Rogers when I was a kid. I grew up in the 70s and 80s. I love Mr. Rogers. But before Mr. Rogers was Mr. Rogers, the children's television show guy, he was a Presbyterian minister. And he told a story about this time when he went to a church service and they had a substitute preacher. It happened in Pittsburgh. They had a substitute preacher come in that day. And at the end of this guy's sermon, Mr. Rogers thought to himself, that was the worst sermon I've ever heard. He said, this guy was terrible. He was the worst preacher ever, right? And just as Mr. Rogers was about to turn to the little old lady next to him and tell her how awful this guy was, he stopped. He bit his tongue because that little old lady next to him was in tears. She was in tears and she turned to Mr. Rogers and she said, that was the most beautiful sermon I've ever heard. She said it was the absolute right thing I need to hear at the absolute right time in my life. And she said, I'll never forget where I was this day that I heard this sermon. It completely floored Mr. Rogers because he, that's when he realized that everybody must have this power inside them to impact human life. Even that preacher that was so terrible profoundly impacted this little old lady, right? But he learned another very important lesson that day, a day that changed his life with this lesson that he learned. He learned that while he was coming in judgment that day, that little old lady was coming in need, in need. So many of our brothers and sisters in this country are coming in need. All of us at some point are coming in need. And somebody's going to be there to meet that need for us. None of us got here in life on our own. None of us are that good. But it's incumbent upon us to meet the needs of other people. What will you do today to meet the needs of another person? That's servant leadership. Fourth rule about being a coffee bean is that, you know, you got to control the controllables. There are only four things that you control in this life, and they're all inside your head. They're all between your ears. You control what you think, what you say, what you feel, and most importantly, everybody's going to see what you do, your actions. And that's it. The entire world goes on around you. You have no control over that, but you control your response to the world around you. Maintain control of those four things, because when you lose control of one of those four things, you run the risk of becoming a prisoner in your own mind. And I'm going to tell you something. From a guy that spent almost 10 years in a maximum security prison to the guy that teaches about prisons in, a, in a, one of the biggest American universities, I'm going to tell you what the toughest prison is in the United States of America. The hardest place to do time in this country is the prison of your mind. I meet more people out here in the free world that are locked up by their thoughts and by their things than by steel bars and barbed wire and concrete. And I'm going to tell you something. The prison of mind is the hardest prison to walk out of. It's the hardest place to make parole from. The fifth rule and final rule about being a coffee bean is that your past does not define you. Your past doesn't matter, y'all. I don't, I don't care what you've done here. I don't care what mistakes you made in your past. Your past is your lesson. You learn from it and you teach other people with it. Your past is a variable. There is a reason why your windshield is bigger than your rear view mirror. You need way more space to look forward than you do to look back. Could you imagine trying to drive your car over a slit the size of your rear view mirror? Man, you'd be doing that and you'd be bumping into things. And in your life, if you're looking at your rear view mirror, you will crash into things. You will hit things in life, obstacles that you would never hit if you were looking forward. Don't look back on your past. Your past is your lesson. The present today is a gift. Not a gift for you, a gift for what you can do for other people. And the future is your motivation. But motivate yourself with the right things because here's the, here's, here's the trap. Here's the warning. If you don't motivate yourself with the right things, good things, things are of this. If you motivate yourself with things that are of this world, the material things in life, then you run the risk of becoming a prisoner of your mind. And today in my life, my, the three things that I, my value, my identity are wrapped up in are, are my faith, which is where my program recovery is the relationships I've built along the way, and my ability to serve other people, faith, family, and fun. There's no prison sentence. There's no pandemic. There's no economic downturn that can take away one of those three things. I'm going to tell you something. I walked out of a max security prison with only those three things. So I'm going to wrap this up. 
Well, what I call my call to action is this, y'all. Look, life is a pot of boiling water. You already know that. You lived through the pandemic of 2020 and 21. Life's a pot of boiling water. But you have three choices of how you will respond to your pot of boiling water called life today. You can be like the carrot that turns soft and sad and weak. And you know what? Natural human behavior, you're going to have carrot days. I had one last week. Then there's going to be those days that make you hard and mad and mean and angry and bitter and irritable. Everybody gets on your nerves and those those are the egg days. And you're allowed to have egg days too. Those happen too. I had one last week. My wife said I was carrying the egg in the same day. Yeah, I had a bad day. One last lesson from a max security prison is this. I found out inside that prison that I had this power inside me that you have inside you, not just the coffee bean, but you have this power inside you to start your day over anytime you want. You could change your day anytime you want. Having a bad day, that is a choice because guess what you get to do? Nine o'clock in the morning, nine o'clock at night, it doesn't matter. You get to take a step back from life. Take a deep breath and tell life, you know what, life? I don't have to live like that. I don't have to be the carrot and I don't have to be the egg. And then you run and jump in that pot of warm water called life. And you tell life, you know what? I'm a coffee bean. Turn it up. And the longer that coffee bean sits in that pot of warm water called life, the stronger the pot of coffee is going to be. So my call to action to each and every one of y'all is the same call to action Mr. Jackson gave me 12 years ago when the prison bus came to pick me up to serve my life sentence in a maximum security prison. It's this, you go out there in your life and you go be a coffee bean. Be a coffee bean, y'all. Thank you very much. Jordan, thank you for this morning, brother. Damon, man, so good to have you. This was just awesome. And I'm going to kick us off with the first question in our Q&A. I want to honor my commitment to ask you the question about Dabo, Sweeney, and John Gordon. Because we got a lot of salespeople on the call. The questions are filling up. We got dozens and dozens of questions. We're not going to get to all of them. But there was a moment in your life that changed everything. And yeah. every salesperson, every person that's in the people business needs to hear the story that you told me about being in the room with the coach. And then we also want to hear the story about meeting John Gordon through that experience. So, yeah, this is a, this is a great story. And, and, and the story is about, it's about putting in the work. Because in life, like I told you, in that prison cell, I had to get up and put in the work every day inside that prison. And it's no different. Out here, I got to put in the work, too. And you have to put in the work in your life, too. So it was January of 2017. I'm working at a law firm in Beaumont. I've been out of prison for 14 months. And look, I'm grateful for where I am in life. God has opened this amazing door. But I want to speak to college football teams. I want to share this story you heard today with college football players because I played college football. I've got this currency to spend with them, but I don't know any college football coaches. I don't know any college football teams. I played quarterback, you know, back in the nineties at a division one school. So I'm at work. It's January 17. I get a phone call from my friend. He works for KHOU, the CBS station in Houston. And he said, Damon, tonight is the Bear Bryant Coach of the Year Award. He said they give the best coach in college football this award every year. The eight best coaches in the country are going to be in this room at the Toyota Center. Do you want to go? I can sneak you in. I got an extra press pass. Dude, you bet I want to go, man. I'm hungry. I'm strong. I got this rookie mindset, right? So I get in my car and I drive the hour and a half from Beaumont to Houston. I've got this, this hand-me-down suit on. I'm proud of my suit. It's the only suit I have. I'm just out of prison. So I'm wearing my hand-me-down suit. I go to Houston, Texas. I get to the Toyota Center. He sneaks me in the door and I hit the ground running, Jordan. And, and I mean, all these major coaches are there. USC, Wisconsin, Penn State, PJ Fleck, they're all in this room. And I get to meet every one of these coaches and shake their hand and give them my elevator pitch, which I've been practicing for an hour and a half from Beaumont to Houston. And every coach I meet that night slams the door in my face, man. No, and it's not, they're not rude about it. It's like, no, no, don't call us. We'll call you. Well, one coach starts running the other direction when I start talking about prison, right? So he's like running away from me. So, man, within one hour, I'm seven of the eight coaches down. I've got seven no's in one hour. That's a no every eight minutes, Jordan. I mean, I am, I'm in the corner of the Toyota Center, and I'm licking my wounds, and I'm feeling sorry for myself. And that voice in my head, that voice says, go home, Damon, quit. Just go home. That last coach is going to tell you no, just like all seven of those other coaches told you in one hour. And he's the hardest coach to get to in that room because his team beat Alabama two nights before for the national championship Everybody wants a piece of this guy's time. But then that voice kicked in, Jordan, that, that, that voice that says, you know what, Damon, quit. You're not going to quit. You want to be a motivational speaker. What kind of motivational speaker just quits? Who wants to listen to that guy, right? And you survive prison. You survive way worse than this. That's that part in life about perspective. You know what a bad day looks like. Everybody knows what a bad day looks like. And most of the time, the day you're with is not that bad. So I'm like, you know what? 
I'm not leaving until that guy tells me no to my face, and then I'm driving home. So, Jordan, I watched, and I waited for my opportunity, and I, I stalked Dabo Swinney around that room that night at the Toyota Center. And, I mean, I'm hiding behind fake plants. I'm doing everything I can to get around Dabo. I'm, you know how you linger around a, a conversation? For, but, man, it took me about an hour, and I finally pounced on Dabo Swinney, man. I got Dabo up against the wall, and I'm giving Dabo the best stuff I've got for about a minute. And when I come up for air, Dabo's like, dude, you got a card on you or something? So I shove a card in his face and he grabs it and he's taken off the other direction over his shoulders. Like, Hey, we'll be in touch. Horrible body language. Right. And to me, that was a no. And it looked like a no and it felt like a no, but you know what, Jordan, I didn't care about that. No, because I left it all on the field, man. I felt okay about that. No, because I did everything I came to do that night, man. And when you in life, whenever you do everything you can, you may not win, but at least you tried your best. So I went home and I slept like a baby that night. I forgot all about that night, to be honest with you. Four months later, I'm at my desk at work at that law firm again, and I get an email. And it's from Mike Dooley, the director of football operations at Clemson University. And the email said, hey, Damon, Coach Sweeney met you at a work show in Houston. He'd love to have you come talk to the team. Do you have August 1st open? What? Do what? I got every first open, man. I got nothing going on in my life. Yes, I can be there tomorrow. So August 1st. 2017, I'll go speak to the Clemson Tigers, the defending national champions of college football. And when I got done with my presentation, Dabo had me up against the wall. And he's like, Damon, he said, that's the most amazing story I've ever heard. He said, I've never seen my players respond like that. He said, we had to shut Q&A down. We never shut Q&A down. He said, Damon, have you been to Alabama yet? And I'm like, no, Dabo, I've been to Clemson, man. I hadn't been anywhere. He said, well, we'll see about that. He said, I just texted Nick Saban from the back of the room, told him what I was watching. And when I landed in Houston the next morning, Jordan, had a voicemail and a text message from the director of football operations at University of Alabama and said, hey, we'll see you in Tuscaloosa in three weeks. You're on. Just like that, Dabo Sweeney has kicked in the door to college football. And, and I mean, it's, it didn't stop there. I mean, Lincoln Riley, Gary Patterson, all these coaches from around America start calling my cell phone and saying, hey, Dabo told me I got to bring you in and talk to my team. When can you come to my team too? So just like that, the door to college football open is, door to college football is wide open because of Dabo Sweeney. But the real magic was one year later, August of 2018, I'm at my desk at work at that law firm. Again, I don't work for the law firm anymore, by the way. So I was at my desk at work at that law firm, and I get a phone call. And on the other end of the phone is a guy named John Gordon. John Gordon, the energy bus guy, the guy that I watch every day for inspiration, the guy who I follow on Twitter that inspires me every day. I watch his videos all the time, and it's the same voice from those videos. He's on my phone. I'm like, John how do you even know who I am, man? He said, Dabo Sweeney. He said, I was just in Dabo's office and I just got done talking to the team. And the Dabo started telling me about you and this coffee bean story. He said, Damon, they got shirts at Clemson that say, be a coffee bean. He said, one of their mottos now is be a coffee bean. John said this in 2018, Jordan. He said, the world needs the coffee bean message, Damon. Let's write a book together. We'll call it the coffee bean. And my first response, Jordan, because I was just so floored, I was like, John, you're, man, you're, you go write the book yourself. You're John Gordon. You don't need Damon West. He said, no. He said, God told me to call you, Damon. He said, if we don't do it together, we just don't do it at all. So we wrote the book, The Coffee Bean. came out in July of 2019. It became an instant bestseller. It sold almost 300,000 copies in the two years. It's, been, it's, in, it's in every language in the world, Chinese, French, Spanish, Arabic, Italian, uh, Vietnamese. It's in, every language, it's in every language in the world, right? But the moral of the story is this, Jordan. If I don't stick around that room that night, after those seven no's to get that last no, that one, the last no that I was sure was going to be a no. If I don't stick around and put in the work and ask the question, then you never know who Damon West is. And you may not still have the story of the coffee bean in life. We have to put in the work. You have to be one to put yourself out there. You gotta, you gotta ask every question. The only question, you know, the answer to for sure is the one you do not ask. The answer to that question is always no. Man, that's so good. And I do believe, Damon, I know you believe this. We're always one relationship away from a completely different life. And Absolutely. you have tended the fire to so many relationships. You make it count. You're intentional. And I know some of the relationships that you hold most dear is the relationship with your family. So I want to ask you about your family real quick. We had a question from Martin Connolly. Okay. Here's Martin's question. Martin's a dad in Boston, Massachusetts. He's got three young boys married to Alessia. He says this, if you could teach your children one lesson about leading a useful life, what would that lesson be? Okay. So before I answer the question, I, I got to throw something out there about family because the family is a big thing to me. May 18th, 2009, in the story, 
was with the day I told you I got sentenced to life in prison. A jury sentenced me to life in prison. May 18th, 2019, 10 years to the day, at the same time of the sentencing came down at one o'clock, I got married for the first time. I married uh, this woman named Kendall Romero, and she has a daughter named Clara, who is now nine years old. So on the same day that I was sentenced to life in prison, I got a new life 10 years later. Uh, I became a husband and a stepfather. The two best hats that I get to wear. And the answer to your question is, what would one lesson be? And it's the lesson we teach Clara, and it's what we talk about with Clara all the time, is to be kind. Kendall tells Clara all the time, you're smart, you're pretty, you're funny, and these are great things. But the best thing about you, Clara, is that you are kind. Because being kind is a choice. And everybody is going through something in life. So it's so important that you're kind to everybody you meet. That's what we tell our kids. That's what we should instill in them is to be kind. Never too important to be kind, man. It's always the right time to be generous, to be kind. We've got a great question um, from David Keeker, managing partner, Northwestern Mutual, Indianapolis, Indiana. David says, Damon, what were you telling yourself internally during the worst of the worst times, the darkest moments? What were you telling yourself? So this is going to be a faith. This is a faith answer. Um, and so Whenever the dark, it's the dark time. My mom, when I was in Dallas County Jail, reminded me of this prayer plaque that I had on a wall in my house where I grew up on Roanoke Street in Port Arthur as a kid. My mom is a real devout Christian woman. She has prayer plaques and crosses over the house. But the one she was asking me about in particular that night in Dallas County Jail was the one that was above my bedroom on Roanoke Street. And she reminded me what it was because I just couldn't think of it. My brain had been fried on that dope. And uh, it was footprints in the sand. And she even asked me, she, did, she said, do you remember the story of Footprints in the Sand? And, and I didn't. So my mother patiently and lovingly retold me the story of Footprints in the Sand that night, you know, about a guy walking on the beach with God. She said they're watching a video of his, of his life play out in the sky. And she said every time something good happened in man's life, there were two sets of footprints walking side by side. Things are going well. She said, but every time something bad happened, Damon, there was pain, there was hurt, there was suffering, there was loss, and he loses his football career. She said, the guy only saw one set of footprints. And finally, the guy just called God out and said, God, what's up, man? Every time something good in my life happens, man, you're walking with me. I can see the footprints. But when the bad stuff happens, you abandoned me, man. I can only see one set of footprints. Why did you abandon me? And she said, that's when God laughed and said, Damon, you fool. Man, every time you saw one set of footprints, I didn't abandon you. I carried you. Boy, she started screaming like a football coach. She said, Damon, look down that jail cell right now. She said, baby, there's only one set of footprints and they're not yours. She said, get on God's back. I don't want to lose my son. So those nights when I was in there and that the toughest times that I went through mentally, physically, spiritually, because they're all battles that you're fighting all the time. I reminded myself that I was on God's back, that I wasn't doing this alone because we can't do this alone. You're not capable of doing this alone. Everybody has to be tethered to something. And so I remind myself of footprints in the sand. Good question. Love that. Well, we have a couple super fans that are with us today on the webinar. One of those super fans is a guy named Al Shore out east. Al is a dynamic leader, good friend of mine. AJ Berth, another super fan of Damon West. They asked a similar question. That's so, this so cool, man. AJ Thank y'all. Thank you. And Al. And I think Al's got his entire team listening. So um, here's the question What are you doing to ensure, to know that you know that you know that you're continuing to grow and develop today? Tell us about today. Your world's expanding. You got more people coming to you than ever before. You're turning away certain speaking gigs. Thank God you said yes to us. Mm -hmm. What does it look like for you today to grow in this current environment that you're in, Damon? So it, it's about being a servant leader. We talk about faith and family and fun, your core values, which, which I love because they, they line up perfectly with what I talk about in my life of, of the things that propel me forward. But so what am I doing? I'm always listening because we have to be listening. The, one of the most fundamental necessities for communication is that everybody wants to feel like they've been heard. And so I listen and, and, and I listen and I wait for the opportunity. I have to find ways to use my platform for good and positive things and to give back because this can't just be a life where, hey, you know, I get to go out and speak all the time. And I know it's helpful for the people, but there's got to be more. My wife and I started a foundation last year called the Be a Coffee Bean Foundation. And we had dinner with Dabo and his wife, Dabo and Kathleen last summer. And Dabo told me about this group called Call Me Mr. And Call Me Mr. is an educational program at Clemson that they find young black men that graduate high school and they give them a scholarship for elementary education. And when they graduate, they stick those guys who are now elementary school teachers, they give them the salutation of Mr. 
They stick those guys into the toughest elementary schools in the state of South Carolina, the most at-risk Title I schools with a population that looks like them, majority Black population that looks like them, because these men can change that environment from the inside out. They are like the coffee bean and the pot of warm waters of public school system. And, and less than 2% of the teachers in America are Black men. So my wife and I decided to be a coffee bean foundation. What we're going to do, and it's just this audacious dream that has just become a reality, I went back and told Dabo, and I, I talked to the Call Me Mystery guys at Clemson. I said, what if I could do this program inside of a, of, of a prison? Because when I was in prison, you could go to different prisons for different schooling programs. And Dabo and the guys from Call Me Mystery are like, man, this is amazing. This is groundbreaking. It'd be, be awesome. But how are you going to find someone to do it? So leave that to me. So in the state of Louisiana, two weeks ago, the director of prisons, Jimmy LeBois, who's a friend of mine, Jimmy, you know, Jimmy gave me an audience back in February to pitch my idea to him, and we figured it all out. And two weeks ago, Jimmy LeBois sent an email out to every warden in the state of Louisiana, all the wardens of all the prisons, and said, hey, the Louisiana Department of, Criminal, the Louisiana Department of Corrections and the Be a Coffee Bean Foundation are teaming up for this initiative. They are right now identifying in their prison system. They've got 39,000 men in their prison system. We are looking for five incarcerated black men who have a low-level criminal offense, the kind of criminal offense you can be inside of a school. They have not a lot of time left in their sentence. They have the aptitude to test in the college. And once we find our five men, our five Mr. Coffee Beans, we are going to transfer them to one prison called the Hunt Facility right outside of Baton Rouge. And then we're, my foundation is going to pay for their degrees because LSU professors are going to come into the prison and these guys are going to get elementary education, bachelor's degrees. And when they graduate and pass their teacher certification exam, inside of a maximum security prison, they're going to be paroled out and we're going to be waiting for them at the gate. The foundation is we'll have a used car for them. We'll have a, a wardrobe for them to teach in. We'll have a family that we're going to place them with because we want them to have that support group. You see what I'm doing? I'm giving them all the tools they need to succeed in life because reentry is tough out of prison. And we're even going to provide them with their first year student teacher salary. So we don't just take a guy that's been in prison and stick him in a room full of screaming third graders by himself. He's going to be a student teacher that first year at no cost to the taxpayer. And then we're going to put these men in the toughest elementary schools in the state of Louisiana, the ninth ward of New Orleans, the East Baton Rouge, Paris, places where your future prison population can come, come from, places where there are lacking black male role models. And we are going to let these guys go change their communities from within. We're going to reverse that school to prison pipeline, and we're going to make it the prison to school pipeline. And Jordan, I'm telling you, man, once we do it in Louisiana, we're going to have these guys in that prison starting class by September. Once we do it in Louisiana, we'll be able to do it in every state in America. And that is from listening. You asked, the question was asked about what am I doing? I am listening, man. I'm always listening for ways that I can impact that world in a positive way and take this coffee bean message to another level. And it just kind of seems fitting to me because a black man gave me the coffee bean story in the first place. Damon, I could listen to you all day, brother. I could listen to you all day. And we have dozens and dozens of questions that we're not going to be able to answer, which leads me to my last question for you. And I want to honor your time. And I know we're at the top of the hour. I want to know where people can find you. And, and first, let me say this. If you haven't read the Coffee Bean book, you got to read the Coffee Bean. And if you haven't read the Change Agent, you got to read the Change Agent. Uh, your content, your material is fantastic. You're one of my favorite follows on social media. Thank you, man. Damon West 7. Go follow Damon, order the books, engage with this guy. But where else can people find you, man? If people want to connect with you, tell us about how they do that, where they do that, where can they find you? Yeah, if you want to connect with me uh, to speak at uh, an event or whatever, or just follow the stuff I'm doing, uh, uh, damonwest.org, damonwest.org is where people get in touch with me. Uh, the foundation is the Be a Coffee Bean Foundation.org if you want to learn more about that. Uh, the books are available on Amazon or anywhere books are sold. The Change Agent, by the way, Jordan, it's uh, look, I'm in negotiations right now with Lionsgate to make it a Netflix limited series, like a 10 part limited series, got some really big names lined up to do it. I can't announce who they are right now, but we're very close to make, getting a deal done. Uh, but yeah, look, I'm just trying to do the most good I can. Add Damon West 7, Twitter and Instagram, follow me out there. I'll put positive stuff out there. It's not gonna be stuff that's political and not gonna be stuff that's opinionated, just positivity. And that's what we need in our lives. Uh, Jordan, thanks a lot for the opportunity today, man. I really appreciate you, brother. Thank you so much. Damon, you are a gift to this world. And our community is so thankful for you, for your life, for your message. Thank you again, brother, for spending some of your very valuable time with us. I cannot wait to circle back with John Gordon. I'm going to tell him, man, we got to learn from Damon West. 
And our community gets to learn from John Gordon on September 24th. Thank you, man. Thanks to John. I'm so glad that we got connected. Brother, I am wishing you all the best from our entire community. Thank you one more time. Appreciate it. Hey, y'all. Thank you so much. Hey, faith, family, fun. Hey, look, I'm just the warm-up back for John Gordon. John Gordon is the real deal, brother. Thanks a lot, Jordan. Appreciate you, brother. Appreciate you. Be well. Yeah, you be well. Thanks, See you, brother. Damon. All right. Bye-bye. We'll see you. Bye-bye.